This is Still Rowing, a podcast where members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints share their authentic stories of struggle and triumph on their journey of discipleship, and just why they are choosing faith in the restored Church of Jesus Christ. Bennett and Becky Borden join us from Salt Lake City, Utah, where they've lived for the last five years. The Bordens were married in 2013 and sealed in the Washington, D.C. temple in 2014. Bennett is a partner and chief data scientist at Fagri Drinker Law Firm in D.C., and Becky works for the church in the priesthood and family department, where she focuses on LGBTQ issues and other programs at the church. Though married only seven years ago, Becky and Bennett have known each other for 30 years and met when Bennett served in Becky's ward in North Carolina on his mission. After his mission, both Bennett and Becky came out and lived with same-sex partners for the next 20 years. They both decided to return to the church in 2012 and fell in love while going through that experience together. I'm your host, Tara McCausland. A very warm welcome to our listeners and to you, Becky and Bennett. I'm honestly so excited for this opportunity to interview both of you today. Thank you so much, Tara. Thanks, Tara. Tara. We're excited to be here. And I was saying to them before we started recording that I actually reached out to Becky like a whole year and a half ago. So we can say this has been a year and a half in the making (laughs) (laughs) to get this this interview. So um, now, obviously, I just shared a little bit in your bio about your backstory, but would you like to take a few minutes to share more of your story with us? Becky, would you like to start? I would be happy to. Thanks so much, Tara. So, yeah, we, you know, you got a little bit from the bio there, just about our history. And um, so Bennett and I were both born to parents who converted to the church, Um Bennett's parents converted before he was born and my mom converted when I was four. And so we both come from convert families um, in the in the South. Bennett's from Tennessee and I was born in Georgia and raised in North Carolina. And um, so we both went to really small wards um, or Bennett's I think was a branch for a very (laughs) long time, like 10 families. Um, And Bennett's the youngest of six boys um, in his family and I'm the oldest of um, my five kids uh, from my mom. And um, we both had, um, you know, interesting upbringings, um, you know, good and bad parts, uh, but both had a testimony of the gospel. Um, I went to early morning seminary and, you know, did did everything Bennett did too. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, we both, um, we both knew from the time that we were, about the time you hit puberty, like 10, 11, 12 years old, we both knew that we were different, um, that we were more attracted to people of the same sex than we were um, of people of the opposite, opposite gender. And, and so that was, you know, at the time, I think we, we handled it differently and we had different experiences. You know, Bennett's about six or seven, six and a half years older than me. So, you know, in the deep South in the 80s, you just didn't talk about that, especially if you knew that you were different because it was dangerous. You know, you could lose your life or get beat up or all kinds of bad things um, when you came out as gay. And so Bennett, that took a toll on him. That was really difficult for him in his early life. And, you know, my experience was a little different. I certainly didn't talk about it. 
it was still dangerous to talk about it and to be different. Um, I really kind of thought I had a super secret special superpower. Um, I thought, hey, I like girls, so that's really cool. And um, and I wonder what that's going to mean for me. But I didn't, you know, I didn't really do much more with it other than that um, at the time. And you know, we both got married in our early twenties. Um, Bennett after his mission, and me several years later when I hit my early twenties. Um, and both of those marriages ended within like two years, um, in a wonderful fiery crash. Um, <laughs> maybe wonder, wonderful is not the right word, but, um, definitely a difficult, um, first marriage. And we both came out, um, after our first marriages, um, because we, we thought, okay, well, we tried it. We tried it the way you're supposed to do it. And that was awful. <laughs> so that can't be the right answer. And everyone told us if we just got married, right, it would be, that just, would be just fine. fine right. And so <laughs> when it turned out to not be just fine, um, we were like, okay, well, maybe let's do something different. Um, and so we both came out and um, I was, you know, I was with several different wonderful people over the next almost 20 years. And um, very soon after Bennett came out, he met a wonderful man who he ended up marrying and they were together for 20 years. Um, and that's a little unusual, especially <laughs> in the, in the gay community, especially among men. Um, but he found a wonderful guy and, and I knew them both. See, that's the thing you have to remember Bennett and I knew each other. And so when Bennett served his mission in North Carolina, part of his mission in North Carolina, he was in our ward. And he was a sign language missionary. So he spent eight months in our ward and my mom was a stake missionary and my stepdad was ward mission leader. And so we spent a lot of time with Bennett um, and the other missionaries in our ward. And he kind of became part of our family. So this whole time of all, you know, these, all these weddings and coming out and having partners and all, all the, the 30 years that ensued, Bennett and I knew each other and we were really good friends. I was in his first wedding. I think I was a bridesmaid <laughs> um, <laughs> because I knew the sister missionary that he had married because she'd been in our ward too. Um, <laughs> and so we just had this interesting kind of interweaving of the experiences of our lives and, and both coming out and being at each other's second weddings to our partners. Um, we just remained close and Bennett was close to our family, like came to family reunions and birthdays and school plays. And he was part of our family. And so he was kind of like my brother. Um, <laughs> you know, it was, he was and just that best gay friend. Everybody and had, that best gay know? friend. Yeah. Except that I wasn't like that girl. I was like, Oh, let's go shopping together. Right. <laughs> no, that was me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Plus all he was going to buy was khaki shorts. That's I'm like, true. Yeah. <laughs> Only one of was cargo shorts and a t-shirt. Yep. <laughs> um, you know, we're not, neither one of us are terribly stereotypical, but we no. do put fun at each other for the stereotypes. Yes. And it's interesting because my experience growing up was very different than Becky's um, because it, I don't know, maybe it was different because I was um, a boy growing up in the church. Mm -hmm. um, and all of the message that was coming out of society was of course that gay people were queer and perverted and mentally ill. And um, even the messaging in the church, you know, this was when Spencer W. Kimball was the prophet and the miracle of forgiveness that still to this day describes mm -hmm. um, people who were gay in the, the really 
hurtful um, terms. And because my life was as difficult as it was, it was terribly embedded, this, this self-hatred and this shame. And, but strangely, I also had a very deep, tender, personal relationship with God and with the Savior. Um, I knew that the church was true. And more importantly, I knew that the gospel of Jesus Christ was the way to happiness. It was the truth of things, right? And so it, it, I tried everything, right? I went on my mission. Um, I had a successful mission. I came home. I went to BYU in like, you know, two weeks after I got home and was engaged in four months, right? So the, the recipe was perfect, right? Just what I went to, you were supposed to do. Um, temple marriage. Um, I was, you know, I taught elders quorum. I was um, a stake missionary, you know, all those things. And then when my marriage fell apart, that's when it was really enough was enough for me. I felt like I had done everything that I could possibly do um, to do what was right and stay the course and bare white knuckle it through, um, praying that if I were just good enough and just righteous enough and just something enough that the Lord would take this, what I consider to be this vileness out of me. And when that didn't happen, I was really done. Um, and I was pretty mad at God. And so I just threw it all away. And I'm like, I'm done with this. And as Becky said, you know, within a couple of weeks of my wife and I separating, I met um, the man who I eventually married and, and we were together for the next 20 years. But it was a very interesting 20 years because mm -hmm. my relationship with God got repaired because I threw it all away and built it back. Because, you know, when you grow up in the church, the church becomes, the gospel becomes a set of rules, right? It's like, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. And it really builds this false kind of construct and, and superstructure that at some point you have to flip out of that into a personal relationship with God and realizing that what is our true purpose here on earth is to become our best self. Yeah. And and, and I would add to that, you know, Bennett, he, he always had this testimony of the gospel. And even, you know, even though he was mad, you know, that his temple marriage had fallen apart and that, you know, that that first marriage didn't work out and had a lot of feelings around that, he still had this testimony of the gospel. And, and I think he was way ahead of me on that because, you know, even coming out of, of my teenage years, I... You know, I had been president of all my little classes in, in young women's and I was president of the seminary and I did all the things and I still didn't feel happy. I still didn't feel converted to the gospel the way I, I should, I guess I thought I should have been. And I, you know, I got introduced to um, some anti-Latter-day Saint literature that I was not prepared for about um, the history of the church and um, Joseph Smith and, you know, a lot of stuff that I just wasn't prepared and didn't, didn't know what to do with. And it shook me. I mean, it really rocked my testimony. And so I left the church of my own accord when I was 19 and sent a letter and the whole thing and said, listen, I, I, I've got to figure some stuff out about the historicity of the church uh, and the gospel before I can count myself as a member. So until I do that, you should probably take my name off the rolls. Um, it had nothing to do with being gay. 
Um, it was really about my testimony of the gospel. And I would say that I, that I really had to go through the same thing that Bennett was just talking about. I had to undo all the things that I thought that I knew about God and God and the gospel and the church and rebuild it differently and rebuild my relationship with God in order for me mm -hmm. to become converted to the gospel. And isn't it interesting? So both Becky and I formed a new relationship with God outside of the church, but not outside of the gospel, if that makes sense, because the gospel reaches everybody, right? The, the, the relationship with God and our status as his children and as Christ as our savior, that works for everybody. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I know Becky went to a few different churches. I had a good kind of religious experience and it was interesting because I decided to go on a religious walkabout. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, just, both did. <laughs> I decided that every time human beings try to explain God, they're going to get it wrong. Right. But there's pieces of it that are right. So I figured if I studied every religion, so I literally went and studied Eastern, Western, earth religions, Wiccan, like all of it. And what was so interesting was that it brought me back to the purity of the gospel, the very simple truths of what we're here for. And because we thought that we could find enough kernels of truth <laughs> and all the other religions and put them together and have the same thing as having the gospel that I, I thought that I could go out and go to any other church and have the same feeling of having the spirit of my home and having the Holy Ghost with me that I could by being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I really did believe that. And, and it, I went hard. I looked hard. Yeah. I really and it did. takes a while to figure out that they're not quite the same. Right. So it was interesting over this 20-year period, one was I really did form this very personal relationship with God. Mm -hmm. And I came back to knowing that the church was true. And what I mean by that, that it is God's institution upon the earth for the gathering of Israel and for the salvation of his children. But I was gay. <laughs> and I had tried for a really long time to make those two truths fit in the same basket. And they just didn't in my book. The way I understood it at the time, that was impossible. And so I just sacrificed my membership in the church and tried to be as good of a person as I could. And over that period of time, my relationship with God healed, but also, you know, my marriage to my husband was wonderfully beautifully healing for me. It took away the shame and the self-hatred. There was somebody who truly loved me and I stopped hating myself for being gay. I actually found these wonderful parts of me that that went with me being gay, my sensitivity and creativity and empathy. And there's so many beautiful gifts that are wrapped up in my identity as a gay man. And I found those and the strength of those things during that time that I was with my husband. Yeah, I would say much the same thing when I, the partners that I had over the years were wonderful people. And I learned things that I needed to learn. And I remember many times over the course of that time, you know, pouring my heart out to the Lord in prayer and saying, is this where I'm supposed to be? You know, I, I, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Um, and, and I remember the Lord saying, you are just where I need you to be right now. You're learning things you need to learn. Just, just keep on keeping on where you are. It, when it's it, when, and if it's time to change, I will let you know. And I went, okay. And uh, I had very much the same experience, yeah. right? Because because there was this constant low level tension because I found happiness for a long time. Mm -hmm. 
with knowing that I was okay with God and had this marriage that we were very close. And there were things that were sad, like I couldn't be a member of the church. My family was kind of split half and half where some of them were wonderful and loved my husband and I, and we were invited to everything and we were there for Christmas and holidays. And I had other half of my family that we just weren't welcome in their home. And so there was sadness in some of those things. But what was interesting is as I healed over time, the longing to be back in the church and in the gospel fully in my covenants became greater and greater. That became more important to me because there was something missing. And I always thought, well, if I just get through school and then if I just get through law school and then if I just get a job and then if I just make partner and I did all those things and then I, there was this still something missing. I remember when I turned about 40. We were on the phone. Yeah. Yeah. And we were talking, Becky and I talked all the time. She was, she was like that friend that like you would tell stuff you don't even tell your spouse, right? Like she and I were really <laughs> close. And I remember saying to her after I'd done all these things that if I died tomorrow, I would be disappointed with my life. And that really shook me because I mean, I, I had all this success. Um, but the longing to return to the gospel continued to grow in my life. You know, when I left the church when I was 19 and I got excommunicated because I don't think they knew quite what to do when you sent a letter to Salt Lake <laughs> at that point, at that day and age, they were like, you want a what? Um, and so they, they excommunicated me. I was like, okay. You know, I asked for apostasy, you for apostasy and I'm like, apostate. I don't think I'm an apostate, but whatever. <laughs> um, they were like, honestly, to myself, I thought, well, I asked you to take my name off the rules. How you go about it really doesn't matter to me. But I was struck at the difference in my life without having the holy gift of the Holy Ghost. Um, and, but that took me 20 years to figure out that that was the thing that I was missing. Yeah. I just knew that there was something different. And that's why I went to all these other churches thinking that I could find the same thing. Yeah. Um, and so in, in looking and not finding, but being welcome in my family's homes, my sisters, my mother... Um, the, that were members, of, you know, all of my siblings from my mom and my mom are members of the church and nobody else on both sides of my family ever converted to the church. Um, and so, you know, I was welcome in everyone's homes, but specifically in my Latter-day Saint family. And they always welcomed me and my partner to Christmas, birthdays. They always wanted us there. And there were never any conditions attached to it. You know, you can come, but don't bring your partner or, um, you know, oh, I can't have you around my kids or, you know, it was, they were just welcoming and loving and invited us to be included in whatever they were doing, whether it was, you know, we're going to have family prayer or we're going to, you know, we're doing our scripture study with our, you know, one-year-old and three-year-old. <laughs> so we may get through two verses. If you can just hang on for five minutes or join us, whatever you want to do. Um, but they invited us and included us. Mm -hmm. And that was huge for me because one of the things that we have learned is that when you don't have access to someone, you cannot have influence on them. And because my mother and my sisters invited me into their homes where the spirit was present, I could feel the spirit there and I could be tutored by the spirit there. And then I could 
tell the difference when I went back to my own life mm -hmm. and the spirit wasn't there. And, yeah. and it, had they not invited me to feel that, I, I wouldn't, I don't know how I would have ever made the realization that I was missing the spirit. You know, it's so funny that he says that because I, you know, I, when I look back and over this 20 year process and what led me back to the gospel and there was always this longing, but it, as I said, you know, when I turned about 40, it started coming more to the fore. And then my brother, Bob, who I'm very, very close to, um, we're closest in age. We were always like buddies growing up. He and his family were going to go on a trip to early church history sites and asked if I wanted to go. And I, I went, my husband was, couldn't go because of work. And so we went and I remember we went to the sacred grove and we all separated and I was so touched by the spirit. And I had this really long prayer where I said, Father, I know I'm where I'm supposed to be. I've received a testimony many times that I'm supposed to stay with my husband because we're both benefiting from this. There's goodness that comes from this, but I do miss my covenants. I miss the church. I miss, I miss it. And so if there's any way that I can come back, I want to, but, and here's my list of conditions. It can't hurt my husband, you know, it, it can't, you know, all, I had all these really, it's really hilarious. I look back and I had this whole laundry list of how it had to happen. And, it, but it was because my brother invited me along, right? And, and he was the one who really had my husband and I over for all the holidays. His kids are like my kids. And what's really interesting is as the story plays out, all the conditions that I gave in that sacred grove, the Lord worked every single one of them out. So as time went on, I realized that I really wanted to come back to church. And, and as many relationships do, it, it kind of became apparent that my husband's and mine was going to come to an end, amicably, but we had just kind of grown to different places. And um, Oh, wait, but before that, so in 2011, <laughs> so Bennett came to my sister's house um, to make Christmas goodies because um, we make, you know, Buckeyes and sticky buns and stuff every year. And um, at that point, my sister um, and uh, her husband were living in North Carolina and Bennett was just up in DC and I was in North Carolina. So anyway, he drove down and spent, I don't know, stayed overnight and we cooked and chatted and it was just a lot of fun with all of us. Several of my sisters and my mom were there and Bennett and I got to talking and he was like, so I've been thinking about having kids. I'm like, oh my gosh, me too. <laughs> and he said, well, neither one of us is getting any older. So why don't we have kids together? Like, like he and his husband and me and my partner, we'll just have this like modern family thing and we'll, I don't know, a duplex or a compound True. or uh, something. <laughs> um, but we'll like have kids. And I thought, well, that, you know, that would be so cool. Cause how else are we going to do this? And so we thought, okay, well, let's talk about this on the phone. Cause we have a lot of stuff to talk through. Like how would we want to raise them and logistically, how would this work and how are we going to make them? Cause we're not going to make them. And so, you know, <laughs> what are we going to do? So we spent the next few months talking, I would say every few yeah, days, days to yeah. a week. Yeah. yeah. Um, we talked for a couple hours at a time, just about what we wanted and how would we do this and what was important, what was important. And yeah. And so <laughs> finally in these conversations we were like well we'll have to raise them in the church right because they need the gospel they need that that foundation and that upbringing and and you know but we didn't 
you know, you can only say that so loud because then of course you ask yourself the question, well, if it's so important for my children, (laughs) (laughs) then, (laughs) you know, and so we were like, how's that going to, we would like drop them off at primary and be like, see you in three hours, mommy and daddy are going to brunch. You know, how are we going to even, how are we going to do that? And so so we had all these conversations and you know, by the end of the conversations, we had learned a couple things. Number one, that it wasn't the right time for us to try and do this modern family children thing, because neither one of our relationships were strong enough at that point to handle that added stress. And two, that we both still had a testimony of the truthfulness of the gospel. And that was really what started Mm -hmm. all of this is that we still, I still, for me, that I still had a testimony of how how true the gospel was and how important it was if I did have children that they be raised mm-hmm. in the light and in the truth. And it raised this longing. Like there, there was this sense of something missing. And so children was the obvious next step. And, um, you know, my mother had passed away earlier that year and she and I were very, very close. Um, and so it got to be that mother's day in May and, I decided to do things that would make my mother proud of me. Um, and so I was doing some gardening and planting flowers and I started reading my Book of Mormon, <laughs> which I will tell you, if you're trying to stay out of the church, reading the Book of Mormon is not the way to do it. Um, <laughs> because the spirit was there and the beauty and the promises and the there's just these wonderful truths that started to distill upon your soul, you know? And so a couple this is when I started to realize that my relationship was going to come to an end um, again amicably um, but I I started to turn my mind toward okay well, well what's next um, what and as it was because it was sad it was painful in fact <laughs> we tell the story all the time where the day kind of came when I realized that that all right this we've got to end this relationship and so Becky, texted me was the the first yeah Yeah. I I chatted it was a google chat yeah yeah Yeah. so (laughs) so while Bennett's going through all this and he finally comes to this decision and you know he's having this terrible awful no good day and he has no idea that out in Salt Lake City where my partner and I are living because God says has a sense of humor um so we were living out in Salt Lake and our relationship also came to an end um and it was it was a long-term relationship probably seven years Um, and it was extremely sad and very hard. And, you know, Bennett was my friend and I knew he would understand and that, that he would keep me from, you know, causing harm to myself or others. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And if I needed to have a drink at 10 AM, he would drink with me. It's true. Long distance. (laughs) Um, Because it was noon to me. Right, exactly. (laughs) So it was okay for him because it was noon already. So I don't know, it was that morning. And I I thought, well, Bennett's never online, but I'll just see if he is. And so I I sent him a quick Google chat. I was like, oh, I just want you to know, you know, my my partner and I just broke up and I'm really, really sad and I'm drinking already. and, 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 And lo and behold, he was online and and so then I'll yeah. pick it up. So what's the intriguing thing was that very day, that very morning, I had decided that my relationship, it was just time to just cut the cord. And so I had um, written this letter to my husband and I just finished it. And and Becky's message pops up and she goes, hey, I just broke up with you know her partner. And I'm like, huh, funny, me too. She's like, what? No. So we got the That's phone and crazy it was terrible. I mean, it was literally the same day that we broke up with our, our partners and 
um, we spent the next couple of months in, drinking long distance, right, and crying <laughs> and trying to figure it out. But in the midst of all that, too, our thoughts turn toward is, well, what's next? What's next? What do we? What do we want? Is do we? Is this the time? Do we yeah. try to come back to church? And oh my gosh, how awful would that be? And how terrifying is that? And you know, we, just opening up that oh, mess again. Oh. Yeah, but it that. was. It was. <laughs> The timing was good, yeah. right? Because, and I, like I said, I've been reading the Book of Mormon. And, and uh, so through these conversations, I told Becky that I was reading the Book of Mormon. And I, I said, you know, maybe we should, it wouldn't hurt while we're trying to figure out our lives to just have God here. And maybe we should read together. And I think she was, <laughs> I think she actually laughed. I was first. less than excited about that. <laughs> I'm like, why would you do that? <laughs> But, you know, over this, it was two or three months. But he convinced me. Yes. And we started reading scriptures kind of long distance and helping each other through. But, but it's funny because Bennett said, you know, we're going to, it's going to be different this time. I swear when we read the scriptures, when we read the book of Mormon, it's going to be different. And I'm like, how is it going to be different? He said, well, this time we're going to read it under the assumption that it's all true. And it sounds funny to say that, but I, I guess Bennett and I were the same in that I had read it before in the intervening 20 years, a little bit here and there, but with a very skeptical eye, you know, with a very, yeah, what kind of, what kind of crap is this, you know? Um, and, and, and so when he said, we're going to read it under the assumption that it's all true, it turns out when you do that and you suspend that disbelief, that's when the spirit acts upon you that's when the promises that are in the book of mormon really are made manifest to you because you really do come to them as a little child um and and go okay whatever it says i'm going to believe it whatever the lord promises or asks i'm going to do it i'm going to believe it and that was really the beginning of the opening up of our hearts and our minds and and we, <laughs> and we've now, I know we were said we were going to try and do this in 15 minutes. It's I been know, 30. Clearly it's <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's been amazing. It's been amazing. <laughs> so I'm really glad that you shared all of this. Okay, good. Maybe I can interject for a second because I've, I've been like jotting down some notes and there's so much here that um, I could speak to. And I'm sure that those who are listening or who will be listening are just like jaw has dropped. Because I think so much of your story uh, dashes misconceptions Mm. about what it looks like, number one, to be gay and to pursue that lifestyle. And number two, when you leave the church, what that means for your life and your relationship with God. And and I really appreciate that. And, And something that I've really come to start to understand, I feel like, in like the last five years is that I believe that even when people leave the church, that may very well be a part of what is going to bring them back to God, mm-hmm. which I think is startling yeah. to some people to think, no, how could that, how could that be? But, you know, we are here to learn to choose between good and evil. And, and I think that, uh, that agency will take each of us on different and sometimes very roundabout paths so that we can, as you had described, rediscover what it is that we really believe in 
what our foundation is in, and, and that is Jesus Christ in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And so for those who are listening, I, I just want you to take a step back and recognize and ponder that concept that you may currently have loved ones who you feel are so far off the path that there is no way that they can come back. <laughs> but I defy that because mm-hmm. of your story, <laughs> because right. of the borders. Hundreds of others, you know, we, yeah. and but- this is one of the things that's so important to get across is that very often we in the church stay, we have kind of this, this bifurcated world. You're in the church and active or you're not. And then you're an other. And if you're an other, you're just, I don't know what you're doing, but you're out there somewhere. But that's just not true. The Lord reaches everywhere. The love of God reaches everywhere. Every single person is a child of God. And life works the way it's set up. You know, it was Eve, our brilliant, wonderful, wise mother Eve, who said, it is better that we pass through sorrow that we might learn good from evil. It's why she's the one who took the fruit, because she knew this was how her children forever were going to grow and become like our heavenly parents. Mm -hmm. And it is that sense. So the Lord worked amazingly and deeply and actively in our lives while we were quote unquote out of the church. Absolutely. Because it's not necessarily, I, I know that the way is narrow and the path is straight. I do understand that, but oftentimes it is circuitous for some of us. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it doesn't mean that we aren't on our path. It just means our path may look a little different because it's, you know, I, I noticed that when I was learning things along the way during those 20 years that I wasn't a member of the church, I was, I wasn't learning. Yes. Yeah, some of it was learning to choose between good and evil, but some of it was just learning to choose between good, better, and best. Right. Right. Because it isn't always that something is evil. It's just that it isn't the best thing for you. And so as I went along those 20 years, I feel like I was, I was just course correcting, course correcting, course correcting until I found, oh, okay, this really is the best course for me. Right. I want this more than I want anything else. And that's really what it came to at the end of this, Mm -hmm. of finally realizing that I could not recreate the gospel and having the spirit in my life without being a member of the church. I, I finally learned that for me, I wanted that more than I wanted anything else. And it didn't matter what I I thought I had to give up in order to have that, because I did think I was going to have to give up my entire life all of my friends, all of my activities, all of of my identity as a powerful, capable, intelligent, educated woman out in the, you know, corporate world. And I thought I was going to have to give all that up to become this subservient little Mormon woman. And turns out that didn't happen. Um, But honestly, (laughs) because that's what the adversary was telling me, right? That I would have to give up everything in order to be a member of the church. And, but I thought, okay, Based on the promises I've been reading in the Book of Mormon and how much Heavenly Father loves his daughters, that cannot be true. So I'm going to test the Lord out on all the things that he said in the scriptures. And I'm going to do this with full intent and trust that he is going to pony up and do all the things he promised me that he would do. (laughs) 
because it turns out he just wanted me to take that first step and to try. Yeah. I used to tell, and I've told this story several times that, you know, when we first were coming back and Bennett's like, okay, we're going to read the book of Mormon under the assumption it's all true. I'm like, okay, I can do that. I can say my prayers and I can read my scriptures every day. Beyond that, I just don't know yet. And so there are days that I would sit out on my front porch because I lived um, just north of the temple and the conference center. So I could literally sit out on my front porch and see the temple and the conference center from my front porch. And I would sit out there with my Book of Mormon and my glass of red wine and my cigarette. And I would read my Book of Mormon <laughs> because that's what I promised the Lord I would do. Right. And it turns out he didn't care. That's right. He didn't care that I was smoking a cigarette or drinking a glass of wine. He cared that I was reading the scriptures and the spirit worked on me in whatever way I had room for him to work. And eventually over time, right. there were less cigarettes. There was less wine. There was, there was more love of the scriptures and feeling of the spirit. But I didn't have to make all the changes at once. And that's yeah. what I was so scared of. And it's a beautiful lesson there because imagine someone walking on the street by the temple and looking up and see this girl with a bottle of, well, a glass of wine. It's probably a the bottle, bottle a glass was there somewhere, yeah. and a cigarette <laughs> with a book of Mormon. Can you imagine what they would think? What is that person doing? But what they didn't understand was the miracle that was unfolding, the the power of grace and the touching of the spirit that was going on on that front porch. And so the, one of the things that we have learned the most is about how we feel about our fellow journeyers in this world. You know, mm -hmm. because when Becky and I, because we had decided we were going to try to come back simultaneously, like together, not like together like we are now, because that thought was ludicrous because <laughs> we're good, right? Yeah, exactly. And so, but it was funny as, as we started reading our scriptures, as we started thinking about coming back to the church, as we started to have the desire to believe, it was really, really super scary, super scary. And I remember at one point going, Father, what's going to happen to me? I'm, I'm married to a man. I live in Virginia, just outside the border of DC. Um, so I live in a state that doesn't recognize my marriage, so I can't get divorced, right? I, and how this is? How am I going to come back to church? And if I do come back to church, what if, am I going to be alone the rest of my life? Is it going to be? I just wish I could, if I could be with, because the thought of being with a woman was really disturbing. And I thought, gosh, if 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 I could just find someone like Becky who knew me and loved me, and we have such a good time. And the Lord's like, well, there's you know actually Becky, and. <laughs> And I'm like, no, nah, that's crazy talk. What are you talking about? But the thought had an immense impact on me. So, you know, Becky and I were talking all the time. So we were talking that night and I'm like, Becky, are you ever curious about the timing? Isn't the timing of this really weird that we're both coming back? We're both our relationships. Do you think there's like something more to the timing of this? Like maybe for the and I? <laughs> and her reaction, uh, I think I, I laughed out loud, like yeah. threw my head back and laughed. Um, <laughs> and, you know, the, you know, I honestly, the first thing that came out of my mouth after I was done laughing was probably, ew. Right. <laughs> um, just A, because he was a boy, but B, because he was Bennett. You know, he was like, he's like my he's best like your brother, right? <laughs> right. It was like her comfort person, right? Right. It's he's like, like my comfort. He wears a t-shirt. <laughs> I'm a comfort person. Um, but, you know, in that moment that I'm laughing and saying, ew. Um, at that same time, the spirit witnessed to me as clear as day, 
um, in an instant, like 10 different thoughts. Um, and to sum up, it was mostly, of course, there's more to this timing. Yes, you are supposed to be with this person. You must go toward this as quickly as you can and do not look back. And it is going to be just fine. And I was stunned. <laughs> and it really, you know, to, to fast forward just a little bit over the next few months, you know, Becky and I truly put our complete trust in the Lord. And we we formed at the time, we so our mashup name is Beckett, right? So Becky and Bennett is Beckett. And so we came up with this little thing that the two of us together, we live in Fort Beckett. It's our little tiny tree fort. It's our, it's our place that's just ours. And we poured our energy and love into that space and trusted in the Lord and just watched the world shift around us. You know, the, mm -hmm. uh, it turned out to be super easy to get divorced. The divorce went really wonderfully amicably. We're still very good friends with both of our ex-partners. Mm -hmm. All the things that needed to fall into place fell into place. I went from being, you know, one of the kind of power DC gay couples, um, you know, on, on all the gay rights organization boards. And I was the diversity committee chair for my law firm. And in a twinkling of an eye, I was then this married Mormon guy. <laughs> right. And, you know, it was as the world just literally just miraculously shifted around us. Mm -hmm. And we found ourselves in this beautiful, perfect, fulfilling marriage. Yeah, it wasn't perfect. Mm. Um, and, it, you know, we, we had to do a lot of hard work and we got a lot of great therapy and helped us work through a lot of our you know, hangups about physical intimacy with the opposite sex. And we worked hard, but oh my gosh, was it worth it? Yeah. You know, to be where we are now and the relationship that we have and the joy that we have in our marriage and in our lives and the joy that we have in the other person being the opposite yeah. sex. I look at Bennett all the time and I said, have I told you how lately, how grateful I am that you're a man? And that sounds so funny to say, you know, if you're not a gay person, but he totally knows what I mean. Right. Yeah. And, and he says the same thing to me. And it's, and we look at all, the, all each other all the time and go, well, who, who would have known? Right. Know. Who knew? And what's so <laughs> this funny could is, be so great. Yeah. What I keep hearing from you, this, we suspended disbelief and we let that desire work in us. And we put our trust in the Lord, our full trust. And, you know, I think this is, this is obviously a very difficult topic to discuss. Um, LGBTQ issues are very sticky, very taboo, especially in the church. And I know that there are some people listening that are probably scratching their heads like, I don't understand this, or how, how could this work? And yet, I think that is the magic of what putting our full trust in the Lord can do in our lives. Yeah. He can work magic. He can work the unfathomable, the yeah. unimaginable. He can work the miracle. And it's not to say that for every person that experiences same-sex attraction or that is gay could live your story, yeah. but they can have their own happiness. The Lord is waiting to work the miracle for them yeah. so that they can experience that, that true joy. Just that our story is unique to us. You know, I, I would not want anybody to listen to this and then go to their 19 year old who's just come out and go, well, I heard these people talk and they, you know, if you would just believe more, um, you know, or just trust the Lord more, you would be able to let this go. That, that, that yeah. isn't everyone's story that you're, you're looking at 
you know, Bennett's in his fifties and I'm in my mid forties. Yeah. It took us a long time and a lot of learning to come to this point. Some people need a lot of time. And for some people, it will be the next life before they get all the learning and the experience they need. And that's okay. Yeah. The Lord loves and is furthering us at the speed at which we can be loved and furthered. Right. And, and there's, you know, when it's like we said, when we were in our same sex relationships, the Lord was right there. Mm -hmm. Right. There's still, you know, we say this a lot to people that if you look at a gay relationship, there's really only one piece of it that is not in keeping with the balance of the Lord has set. It's a physical relationship. That's like, honestly, if you add up all the time of a person's life, it's like not a lot of time, right? Considering. And yet all that other time you are loving and learning and sharing and serving and mm -hmm. all the other things that everybody else learns, mm -hmm. right? And so there is great goodness that can come from wherever you are in life. And that's really the answer is that the Lord loveth his children. Yes. I do think that sometimes that we, we put limits or parameters on what we think that the atonement of Jesus Christ can do for us. Um, and you've been speaking to this to some degree, but really what has your experience taught you about the power of Christ's atonement to heal and to bless you? Such a good question. And healing is the word, right? Like my favorite description of the atonement is that the savior will rise with healing in his wings. And I came to understand the atonement. The atonement rectifies the adverse effects of sin. And it's not just your own, it's what's done to you, right? And in my life, I came from a, a very abusive early life, um, you know, sexual abuse from the time I was four or five until I left home when I was 15. And I was crushed under that. And plus all the Oh, all the, the pain and shame and all the other things that came along with that. And much of the healing of the atonement was in that space, right? And I truly believe that I was one of the greatest gifts my father in heaven ever gave me was my husband. That the years that I spent with someone who loved me in a situation that I could accept that love and healed from so much of the terrible wounds that I had. Um, and I truly believe that was part of the blessings that I was given in my life. But the, the depth of the atonement that truly empowers us with the Lord's grace to become our best selves, it is, I think it is the most precious thing that I think Becky and I have learned is how very personal the atonement is and how what the links the Lord will go to, to gather you like a hen gathered with her chicks, right? Yeah. And I, you know, one of the things that I realized that I didn't understand about the atonement when we were in the process of coming back to the gospel, I had this thing in my head that the atonement was like, you know, when I was forgiven at the moment of baptism, you know, of all the sins I committed, and then everything I did after that, I kind of heaped upon myself. Um, and that it was this, it was this one time thing somehow. And that I, I was just continuously adding crap and screwing it up. <laughs> and that I had to be I had to be ready to be perfect in order for the Lord to forgive me again. 
I thought that I had to be ready to, to, to not do all the wrong things I was currently doing in order to be worthy of being forgiven. And, one of the, and so I learned that that wasn't the case. I learned that the atonement was a moment by moment, five minute by five minute thing that I, I, if I needed to reach out to the Lord for forgiveness or for comfort or for whatever it was, it could be every five minutes that day if I was having a rough day and that he would do it every five minutes and help me every, you know, how many ever minutes had gone by. And so I learned that the atonement was infinite in that regard. And that as long as I was at the ad, my attitude was that of striving that, mm-hmm. and I really, I really had the desire to do it. I just was failing utterly. It didn't matter that I was failing utterly. It mattered, it mattered that I was striving to do it and that he would continue to love me and forgive me and help me in every moment. And that was such a huge gift to me to understand the atonement differently than mm-hmm. I ever had before. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I have shared this many times on this podcast, um, but my father, uh, he was enslaved by sexual addiction for decades, which led to a number of spiritually destructive choices. And after a series of events in his life, and one being his arrest, he called the the men who arrested him, his angels in blue, um, he was able to find recovery and healing through supportive ecclesiastical leaders and 12 step and therapy. Um, but I know that there are people in the church who believe that there are certain things that we can't come back from, but I know, and as elder Holland has said, mm. it is not possible for you to sink lower than the infinite light of Christ's mm-hmm. atonement. Mm-hmm. And I hope that we can give due credit to the atonement of Jesus Christ and not put those limits and those parameters on what we think the atonement can do for us. Because Mm -hmm. as you said, Becky, the grace of Jesus Christ was available to you at every point. You didn't have to be something or do something even to receive that grace. The desire was enough to come to him Mm -hmm. and he brought you day by day back to him the strengthening of it right and this is where you can't put a schedule on it either right Mm -hmm. like so often when we look at other people in their life you can't you just have you never have enough information to be able to judge where they're at and how fast they're going or should they be going faster or any of that right it's like when becky was sitting on the front porch with her wine and cigarette and the book of mormon right that was actually this one of the most powerful gracious moments in her coming to christ Right. And yet any outside observer could, would never understand that. Right. Mm-hmm. But what we have truly learned is that our whole job is to be the best person we can, mm-hmm. but we are just fellow journeyers, right. With every other brother and sister, and especially those of us in the house of Israel, mm-hmm. we should be the most outreaching, loving, forgiving people. Right. It's our, it's our birthright. It's, it's what we covenant to do. And so this idea that the only thing we are responsible for when it comes to other people is loving them and serving them and linking them up to the spirit and the spirit will lead them through all the conversion and change they need to. Mm-hmm. With that said, what counsel would you give to those who have stewardship over individuals that are LGBT as well as, as loved ones of LGBT individuals? Great question. I think that 
what Bennett was just talking about in this concept of being a fellow journeyer, it goes hand in hand with respecting the agency of others. And if we were speaking not to those who have stewardship over someone, we'll talk about uh, leaders in just a minute, but in talking about the parents and families and spouses and brothers and sisters and friends of those who are LGBTQ and members of the church or not, is that you can be there to help encourage and to love and to you know, be there if there's a teachable moment and the spirit prompts you, but really your job is there to be a cheerleader and a helper and a fellow journeyer. Bennett likes to use the, 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 the metaphor, the analogy of, you know how when you're in a marathon and you, you, know, you, you see is toward the end of the race, there'll be somebody running, right? And they're just getting exhausted, they're falling down and somebody will come and hand them a cup of water or they'll take them under the arm and help them, you know, and run along with them and help them across the finish line or, you know, they'll help them during the race. And that is kind of the, what we're talking about, this idea of being a fellow journeyer, that when you see someone having a hard time, that it's your job to pick them up under the arm or give them a cup of water or a power bar or whatever <laughs> it is, and just help them along. And, and it's almost like you're popping up and going, hey, what can I do to help? You need this? Great, I can do that. And then they say, okay, I'm good now. You go, okay, great. And you go back to your life. And sit with them in their life. Right. Like Becky and I, one of the great mantras of our experience is like what Becky mentioned earlier, you cannot have influence without access. We speak to honestly hundreds of parents and leaders and siblings. And, you know, these parents are just always so upset. They don't know what to do. And, you know, what we talk about is- Because they we, think they need to do something. Right. Yeah. And, and the first thing we say is, you know exactly what you need. You have every single skill you need because all you have to do is love them and be involved in their lives because it is you living the gospel, living your covenants, being kind and truly loving these people that that will have the biggest influence on them. And we mean love as an action word, action verb, like love in the inviting, love in the including, love in the if you don't know, if, you're, if your son or daughter or brother or sister or whomever in your life has a partner, if they're out there and they have a, they have a same-sex partner, if you don't know that person's name or their birthday or what they do for a living or how their, how their relationship is going, you're not involved and you don't know enough to be involved in their life. And sometimes they won't allow you to be, but... But if they do allow you to be right. and they want to be involved in your life, that that is love as an action verb is to be there and to love them you know i have so many people who have said oh i don't know whether i should go to their big gay wedding you know and oh is that condoning something it's well, like first of all it'll be the best wedding you've ever been to <laughs> right first of all but 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 more importantly you know condoning and condemning are kind of two sides of the same coin and neither one of those in my opinion, are really our job. I think both condoning and condemning are the Lord's job. He's the one that knows someone's heart well enough to make a determination on whether what they're doing can be condoned or condemned. Our job is just to love and offer support and help. So we've come up with these, like we have these phrases that are like our, our the, like the mantras of our kind of philosophy of the gospel. <laughs> you know, one is, is this, you can't have influence without access. But the other is, you know, that saying, um, love the sinner, hate the sin. 
we really hate that mainly because my family use it against me all the time, but (laughs) (laughs) there's, we hate it. We hate, it's just, it's so messed up. And so we change it. And so our family motto is love the sinner, invite them to dinner. (laughs) That's like, because that's what had the most influence on us, right? right? We're all- And that's what Jesus did, right? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. It is, it is, it is one of our favorite things about the savior is that he sat down among the sinners and the publicans, Mm -hmm. right? He wasn't up at the head of the table. And so one, we would tell people, take a step back and realize that these are children of your father in heaven and he's got them. And you know exactly what to do. Love. And I remember, and I do want to share this because I know there may be parents listening to this. Uh, one time we had dinner um, with uh, a mother and father and their son had just come out and she said, you know what, this wonderful mother said, what do I pray for? What do I pray for, for this child of mine? And uh, do I pray that, that they're not gay anymore, that they, that they're they, happy and they that find they a partner, that they don't it? find a partner. Right. Or... Yeah. Do I pray that their relationship ends or that they find a good partner? What, what do I pray for? And and I thought about this a while and I actually called my mom because I wanted to know um, over the, you know, the, the 20 years that I was away from the church, what did she pray for, for me? And she said, you know, she would, we had a great conversation about it. And she said, you know, at the beginning, I wasn't sure what to pray for. I, I really, it ran the gamut <laughs> um, <laughs> that you would snap out of it, um, that you would, you know, come to your senses that, um, and she said, but, I was reading in, um, in the book of Alma one day, and it's the part where Alma the younger is out running amok, right? You know, with his buddies and the angel appears to Alma the younger and basically says, dude, you know why I'm here, right? Because you've been running amok and your dad's been praying that you would come to a knowledge of truth. And so here I am. And my mom said she was reading that and, and it dawned on her that what I needed was to come to a knowledge of the truth. And whatever truth it was that I lacked, she didn't know, but the Lord knew. And so what she started praying for was that I would have the experiences necessary to come to a knowledge of the truth. And that she would be strong enough and be able to stay close enough to the spirit to know how to love and support me and to open her heart to whatever it was that the Lord was teaching both of us. And so that really took the pressure off of her. That allowed her to turn me over to Heavenly Father to say, this is your daughter. You know what she needs. Please help her to have the experiences she needs to come to a knowledge of the truth, whatever that is, and help me to be strong enough to walk this path with her. And what's so funny is it is those family members who were close to us, who had access to us, who we turned to when we started to come back. Mm-hmm. And they had no idea. Like I, so when Becky and I were going through this, her family had a family reunion and I always came or often came and, and I was meeting them down and at the beach and, and Becky and I were like, you know, let's, let's, cause this idea of us being together as a couple, yeah. had, we've been talking quite a bit. And we thought, look, let's just get together in person. We'll talk about it more. Because we'll know when we see each other. <laughs> we'll know whether we're supposed to be together. And we did. And it was just this. If was... we can look at each other in the face without dying laughing, then we <laughs> might have a chance. <laughs> but we ended up having a couple of days where we stayed up all night talking yeah. and talking. And it just the beautiful, this beautiful spirit. And we had determined not only that we were going to come back to church, but that we were going to come back to church together and get married. 
And so we walked into that family reunion as gay, married people, right? The same people, the same as we've been for 20 years. And that next morning, we announced to the whole family that we were coming back to church and that we wanted to get married. And so they had no idea, right? And there were, I mean, there were people fainting and there were paramedics, not really, but they were. You know, <laughs> just about, we almost had to resuscitate my mother. <laughs> but you just, you don't know what's going on in the hearts of these people. And so mm-hmm. let yourself, let these people be in the hands of the Lord. And all you have to do is love and serve and be involved with their lives. So when we were coming back, you know, we had decided when we met up at the family reunion (laughs) that we would make appointments with our bishops and keep them um, and that we would start talking to our bishops about what this process would entail to come back um, to the gospel, to the church. And um, we, I had no idea who my bishop was or where my ward building was. And Bennett, you know, he, I think he knew where his was, but didn't know how to get in touch with anyone. And and so, you know, Bennett's brother was on the high council in his stake. So he was able to look up our, our, our wards and our bishops. And, and so we called and made our appointments and we kept our appointments and, and we were terrified, terrified to keep these appointments. I had a lot of alcohol before I went into <laughs> my poor bishop for the first time. <laughs> Bless his heart. He had no idea what was walking the, 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 the storm that was walking into his office, but you know, in, in retrospect, I know why I was so frightened is because I thought that I thought that he was going to give me a list of ultimatums and that he was going to say, you let me know when you're perfect and then we'll welcome you back. Um, but I went in there terrified and I told him my whole story and he, he was a, a man of few words, but he looked at me and he said, Sister Arnold, thank you for coming in here. And just let me tell you how much I love you and be the first to say, welcome back. Mm. And we can take this as slow or as fast as you want to. Do you want to just come talk with me again next week? Should we just start there? If you want to come on Sunday, that's great. Let me, you know, let me call the Relief Society president, make sure she knows your name. And if you don't want to come yet, that's okay. Let's just, let's just start. And that was exactly what I needed mm-hmm. to hear. I needed to hear him say, I love you. Welcome back. How can the Bishop Rick be of service to you? I understand you just moved into our ward. Could we come dedicate your apartment for you? You know, he wanted to be of service to me and to welcome me back. And that was the gentleness and the speed at which I needed to do it. Yeah. And all that fear just melted away because I had a friend. And, Same with me, yeah. And and so he went out of his way to be kind. When I was ready to come to church, the Relief Society president knew me the moment I walked in. And she opened her arms and said, Becky, I'm so glad you're here. Here's where I'm sitting. You come sit here. I have to go conduct, but then I'll come back. And you know, she was just, and where are you going for dinner tonight? Oh, okay, you're coming to my house. And, you know, she was as warm and as inviting and including as she could possibly be. And she made sure that I met other people and the bishop made sure that I knew who the choir director was because I love to sing. And they, were, they just made inroads and they made me feel at home and welcome and part of the ward, even though I wasn't even yet part of the ward. Yeah. And, and that's one of the most important things too, for those of us who were coming back, because I was excommunicated. And so it was, you know, there was just a process of time mm-hmm. and, but my bishop had the same incredibly generous and charitable reaction 
And which is saying something because he was 30 and he'd been bishop for two weeks when Bennett rolled up in his office. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, all right, sit down. Here we go. Um, but, you know, also he was very sensitive to the fact that my whole life was changing. I was getting divorced. I, my whole social structure yeah. was changing. All my yeah. friends were changing. Um, and it, so it was a very traumatic time emotionally. And the, and the adversary is constantly telling you, yeah. you're going to be alone. This is going to suck. Everybody's going to know, and nobody's going to like you. And you're going to be ostracized for the rest of your life. And the adversary fills you up with all kinds of negativity. And, you know, the, the Bishop, knew that we needed things to fill our time with and ways to serve. We couldn't hold callings, but we were on the cleaning committee, right? So we yep. came and we cleaned the church and there were all kinds of metaphors about cleaning the Lord's house, you know, and we- Because yeah, we asked for yeah. ways to be of service. Yeah. And, you know, helping, like we helped inventory the library. And, right. you know, there were just all these wonderful little ways to serve. And- And it, he sent the missionaries by our house. When I moved to D.C., Right before we got married, he sent the missionaries to our house. I swear it was like every other day. I know. And at the time, the bishop was great. So I'm a lawyer, right? So I negotiate stuff. And so I knew it was at least a year before I was going to get baptized. So I, the word of wisdom didn't apply to me. Right? And so the bishop's like, we, we want to see a period of obedience before baptism. I'm like, okay, let's define a period. Is it like a week? Is it like three months? What do you, you know, so for the first eight or nine months, I, you know, I still drink and had my glass of wine. The, the missionaries would come over and we'd hide the wine, hide the wine. And, you know, and we became very, very close to those sweet missionaries yes, and our home did. teachers. But it turned out over time, there was less and less wine and there was less, fewer well, cigarettes. They and, brought the spirit into right. our home. The bishop was so wise because he, he sent the spirit into our home at every opportunity he could as we were trying to, to negotiate our way back and yeah. to come to that point of being ready to live the commandments and that was it was a it wasn't an easy road and so yeah. he was gently helping us in ways that we didn't even recognize and realize the most important thing and this this is so important for leaders and for parents and siblings is that it is the spirit that purifies yes and so putting someone in touch with the spirit and the dross the impurities will just melt away gently and peaceably and so by the time we were several months away from being baptized, we had come into complete compliance with all the commandments. Mm -hmm. And it was beautiful and gentle and sweet. And never did we feel this pressure to conform. It was really beautiful. Mm -hmm. Well, gosh, kudos to those two bishops and your ward <laughs> families. You love to hear those stories where they did it right. Because so often we hear horror stories of people who have been ostracized and when they're trying to come back, they, they are condemned and, mm -hmm. and shamed. And so I love, I love to hear those success stories of, of bishops and ward families who, as you said, who are showing love. Leo Weiniger, who was on this uh, podcast some weeks ago, he said, the Lord is playing the long game. <laughs> and, and we have to do that too. We have to be willing to give people the time and the space so that we don't scare them away <laughs> because for you, it was, it was a lot of changes. Yeah. And I think that if your bishops had kind of like, okay, here's what you need to do within this time frame, it probably 
would have scared you away? There probably were plenty of judgy people. I just chose not to look at them. I just chose not to. Yeah. Because I was like, I'm not wearing a skirt. (laughs) (laughs) You know, (laughs) I'm not going out buying skirts to go to church. I have, I'm wearing my best to church just so it happens it's not a skirt. And, you know, there were some little old ladies who were like, oh, she's definitely an investigator, you know? And I'm like, (laughs) and watch me continue to wear pants. Right. Um, (laughs) But I will say that every ward we've had, um, because we moved out here about five years ago, because the Lord made it very clear that we were supposed to. And we were like, okay, look, I can give up being gay, but I ain't moving to Utah. Um, (laughs) But we, uh, we have had the most amazing wards that we've been in and everybody knows our story like mm-hmm. we're not at all um quiet about it. yeah <laughs> and it has just been a joy to be among the saints out here yeah hmm. so i was reading on facebook the other day <laughs> i'm one of those facebook junkies but i find good stuff on there i promise which is where i got this um i was reading a post from a mother who has a child who is gay And one of the statements she made was that she felt that the proclamation didn't include our LGBTQ brothers and sisters. And I know that that the church's strong stance on marriage between a man and woman, as well as the assertion that gender is eternal. Those are difficult points to accept and reconcile in such a case. So I'm curious, how might you respond to that mother and perhaps as a follow-up question, how can we as members defend the, the proclamation all the while being sensitive to the concerns and questions of LGBT individuals and allies? You know, we get that question a lot. And, and before the policy in 2015 changed, we got that question a lot. And, you know, what we've come to is that, one, it's not our job to defend the proclamation or any other doctrine of the church. It's like trying to defend the law of gravity, right? It's just a law. It is, it is what it is. it is. It is the way that people will be the happiest and the way that they can achieve exaltation. And it doesn't, it's not confined to just this life. We are eternal beings with eternal progression. And so the proclamation is merely a statement of truth. Just like if I say, if I drop a book from five feet, it's going to fall. It's just a law of, of our creation. And, but just because that is the optimal way of living, it doesn't mean that people who are not living the optimal way don't have value or they're not um, in with God or right. They're somehow out of the process of, of becoming the best selves. And so we have, we have found great comfort and the fact that each of us are children of God, winding our way, learning by our own experience, and the grace of God and the atonement of Christ is sufficient for each of us. And so, and so even if you, you don't find yourself within the four corners of the proclamation right now, that's just where you happen to be right now. It doesn't mean that, for, that you are as you are now forever. You will always continue to learn and grow. And, and, there, and, and the promises that are made to us um, in the proclamation and the things that we learn by reading it, it doesn't mean that they're not true. It just means that you may not feel it right now. And that's okay. Um, and so you do the best you can with the light and knowledge that you have 
And as you grow and learn more, you will understand things differently. And it may apply to you at some other point. Yeah. Especially and, our transgender friends. Absolutely. Because there's too much we don't know. Yeah. There's just too much that we don't know. And so there are those that say, well, great. I'm glad gender is an eternal characteristic because I know what gender I am and I know the Lord's going to sort it out on the other side. <laughs> and the Lord has told me that much. And I'm like, okay, good for you. Exactly. If that's what, if that's what you understand and that's what the Lord has told you, that's great. If how can wanna... I, how can I be a fellow journeyer, journeyer and help you along the way where you are right now? How can I be your friend? How can I help you to come closer to Christ? Because it isn't about me helping somebody find themselves in the proclamation. It is about me helping others come to Christ to have a relationship with him. And then they will find themselves within the proclamation. Those are, see, see what I mean? Those are two different things. I don't have to tell you that you're in it. I just have to help you come unto Christ in the way that I love and include and treat you. And then you will find yourself within it, whether in this life or the next, yeah. as long as you're doing the best you can with what you've got, the Lord is going to sort it out. Because I will say, we know dozens of transgender people who are members of the church. And if you want to see a person who has the strongest testimony and the most ironclad will, it is these people. Imagine how hard it is to go sit in a church um, with your dressed as your the gender that you feel you are and not of your birth sex. Imagine the fortitude that requires um, to do that. And these blessed wards who love them and accept them and, you know, the family proclamation, I mean, we're, we're off the page, right? But these are some of the most valiant, faithful saints that we've ever met. Hmm. Well, I love how you answered that question. I was surprised and in awe as you responded to that. And I think there's so much wisdom in what you shared about helping bring others to Christ. And then with learning and with time, they may find themselves in the proclamation. But we are all fellow journeyers and we don't need to force that. Exactly. Well, I am just a really big fan of the two of you. I know that our listeners are going to appreciate this as much as I have. Um, but we do have one final question, which I always ask at the end, which is why are you still rowing in choosing faith in Jesus Christ and his restored church? I love that question, Tara. And I've been thinking about that and thinking about the title of your podcast and the still rowing idea. And I love it because it's action oriented. Anyone who's ever rowed anything on the water knows how hard that can be, that you have to have your arms working together. You can't just row one side or the other, that it actually requires force and pull and action on your part to move yourself along the path in the water. And I was thinking about that in relation to my journey in the gospel. And when I left the church and when I came back to the church and what were some of the fundamental differences for me? And I realized quite recently, actually, I was able to finally put this thing that's been running around in my brain into a structure, into words. And I realized that when I left the church, when I was 19, that I had equated somehow in my head through the way that I had been taught the gospel as a child, I had equated and tied, inextricably tied together, God and the gospel and the church. 
and and God and the gospel are perfect and everlasting. The church is run by people and is the administration arm, right, of the gospel and is fallible because human beings are involved. But I didn't understand that I had tied them so tightly together that if something the church did was an error, all three of those things toppled for me at the same time. So when I have, when I spent that 20 years learning and growing and living and recreating my relationship, it started with God. I had a relationship with God. I knew that God loved me. Then I reapproached the gospel and understood the gospel and tried out for myself the promises of being a member of the church and the, and the peace and the joy and the clarity and direction that comes with believing in the gospel. And then I was able to reapproach being a member of the church, the church that is run by imperfect people, that makes mistakes, that learns and grows, that is a hospital for Israel, right? And now it is okay when the church makes mistakes. It is okay when people are unkind. It is okay when people are picketing in places <laughs> they shouldn't be picketing. Um, when, when people are just being people, that doesn't mean the gospel isn't true or that, that there isn't a God. And so being able to have all three of those things exist independently of one another, and I understand that God and the gospel are pretty closely tied, but the church can exist on its own and I can be a part of it, but I can create Zion there. And so I am still rowing because I am a part of an imperfect church, but I have a perfect gospel and a perfect God. And so as long as I keep both arms engaged and I keep going as quickly as I can toward the savior, Jesus Christ, and toward my heavenly father, I have nothing to fear. I have peace in my everyday life. I have a joyful marriage. I have a wonderful opportunity to testify of the Savior, to testify of the miracles that he has pulled off in my life. And that's why I'm still rowing. And I would echo that completely. I love that image of rowing. And it's because it's so much fun, right? I mean, it really stinks sometimes too, but you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the truth and it is the way. And the more we are in that stream and doing that work, knowing what the truth is and taking advantage of the principles of perfection, we are simply happier. And Becky and I love being members of the church because there are all these wonderful people who are just trying to figure it out and rowing along. And you can come up beside them and and say, hey, here's what I learned. If I turn my wrist this way, it's a little easier for me. And by the way, here's a go-gurt to help you along the way, right? <laughs> like, um, <laughs> And sometimes you run into somebody else's boat and you're like, oh, I am so, so sorry. sorry, right? <laughs> but that's, that's the joy of it, right? Is that when you finally understand that we, our whole job here is we are little decision machines, choice machines. We're going about and making choices and we learn and one of, and if it's not a good choice, it doesn't feel so great. And if it is a good choice, we get the fruits of the spirit. And that's how God teaches us. 
and we can, we're all just here together. And so like our favorite of all these mantras that we have, one is that don't trip people up and bring snacks to help them on their way, right? Is basically the gospel in a nutshell. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Becky and Bennett. I've learned so much from you and I'm honestly so grateful for the, the testimony and the experience that you've shared today. You are blessing lives. Thank, thank you, you so Tara. much, Tara. Such an honor to talk with you and thank you for doing this and for sharing the gospel and sharing the hard things. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Still Rowing Podcast. If you would like a little daily motivation to keep rowing, you can find me on Instagram at churchofjesuschrist underscore sr underscore podcast and on Facebook at churchofjesuschristsrpodcast. Also, if you've been enjoying this podcast, if you would go to iTunes and leave us a rating and review, that would help us spread the word about Still Rowing. Thanks again for listening.